0: Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now, your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard.
1: Today, we've got Scott Dallinger on the podcast with us. We're going to talk about the ins and out of negotiating with sellers, talk about opening up on the metrics and how direct mail works, how cold calling works, all those sorts of numbers. And then we specifically dive deep into the psychology of like how to talk to these owners that are looking to sell property on off market. So without further ado, welcome Scott Dallinger. All right. Thanks, Scott, for coming down and interviewing with us. Really appreciate it. So I understand that you're a real estate wholesaler here in Portland, Oregon, and you've been killing it lately, putting a lot of deals together. Do you want to kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe how you got started?
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Chris and AJ. Super excited to be a part of this first episode or one of the first set of episodes here. So yeah, my name's Scott Dellinger. I'm a wholesaler and I work out of Portland, Oregon, the Portland metro area, and I've been wholesaling for two years now. So you know, quick bit about me is before this, I was working a corporate job and probably like a lot of people that, you know, listen to bigger pockets or different, you know, things on real estate investing, they hear about wholesaling and you hear the kind of money that could be made. And I was working my corporate job and, you know, negotiating for a raise with my employer and, you know, repeatedly being shut down. (laughs) I was like, all right, I got to find another way to make some money. Because I had, you know, goals. I wanted to be able to pay off some student loans. I wanted to be able to eventually buy a house. And, you know, I was earning half decent money, but it just wasn't enough to really get ahead from where I was at. So I tried wholesaling on my own down in Southern California, where I was living at the time for about a year. And, you know, just doing self-education, watching a lot of YouTube, pulling lists, sending postcards and, you know, talking with different people about what works and how to do it. And probably like four months, didn't, you know, had no success, no leads. And at that point, I joined a coaching program, a pretty well-known one for wholesaling called Wholesaling Inc. And they taught about direct mail. So I started implementing what I was learning, how to build a buyer's list, how to market for a lease. And, you know, basically built a wholesaling business without any deals and without any revenue. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? Right, right. That was 2018. So the whole year, you know, I was just spending money on marketing down in SoCal and not doing deals, which in hindsight, that's a really, really tough place to wholesale and to market off market for, for deals because there's you know so many big operations spending 50,000 a month in marketing dollars that you're competing against. So I decided to test the market in Portland. So when I was down there, I sent a direct mail campaign up to here just to see if the phone would start to ring. And it did. And based on that proof of concept, my wife and I, we made the decision to move up here to Portland. My mom and sister were already up here. So that was our sort of connection to the area. You never looked back, right? Yeah, never looked back. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been killer for us up here. But we did our first deal last year in February. I was still working full time. I remember I was traveling when the deal was closed and probably the next three, four or five deals I was also traveling with my full time job and just had my wife and mom sort of like running my inspection events and supporting me. And I was putting deals together over the phone with sellers and I, you know, made enough money <laughs> that I was able to quit my job and, and do this full time and it's been really, really great. That's awesome. Great for my career.
1: That's a great example of taking a risk and just having it you know, pan out where you, you put in a lot of work and here you are now without working for the man. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. It, well, the interesting thing is, like I said, I built a wholesaling business without revenue. We just changed one variable, which was the location and then everything else clicked. Yeah. We knew That's how to build the, to the system set up and yeah.
2: So you talked about how you got into it a little bit and then what really made you Interested in wholesaling? I know you mentioned Bigger Pockets, and but what what was it about wholesaling that
0: made you feel like, oh, I can do this? Let me let me just jump in. What appealed to me about it is there was a time when I was binging Bigger Pockets and uh, trying to learn about real estate investing. I think we all go through, through that phase where we're like. You know, we want to do everything. We want to we want to flip houses. We want to get ten cash flowing single family rentals. We want to buy a duplex and house hack. And I realize it's impossible. You have to pick one. It's impossible to do everything. So you know, I just heard these guys that were wholesalers, and they're talking about, yeah, I made ten thousand on this on this deal, and it was so easy. And people talking about I made forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars on a wholesale deal, and I was like, whoa, you know. I just do one deal that like majorly increases my, my income for the whole year or like one deal or two deals could pay off the rest of my student loans, which I had been working on for like close to 10 years to pay off. So I just realized how like it's a whole different playing field really when you get out of, when, yeah. when you start talking about like the numbers that are possible with a real estate deal. So that was really exciting to me. It was more exciting to me than, you know, buying a single family house and doing the burst strategy and cash flowing $300 a month, you know, we'll still probably do that someday, but not right now. And it, that didn't get me as jazzed as, you know, what's possible with wholesaling.
1: That's great. So what kind of like yeah. qualities, like, well, I guess like what, what kind of traits do you think, you know, maybe that you have that have kind of like really benefited
0: you and like
1: learning the business or doing that wholesale business?
0: That's a great question. I think you got to be you got to be tenacious. You have to be not afraid to hear no over and over again. You have to have a thick skin. You just have to, to charge. You know, my coaches and mentors, they, they, they talk about like, you got to be a rhino. You just have to like charge, you to put yourself in uncomfortable situations, just like run after whatever it is that you want super hard and consistency. I know everyone says consistency. What that means for me is like, Consistency with marketing. Consistency, like if your if your marketing channel is gonna be cold calling or direct mail, sending like spending that money over and over and over and over and over, and over again until you, you get a deal and you make it back. So people like I noticed that sometimes we'll get a lead from direct mail and the sellers will tell us we called the stack of 20 postcards, we got three people that called us back and came and gave us an offer. So that means that there's 20 people out there that took the time to pull the list and send the postcards that never bothered even picking up the phone or calling a seller back when they actually got a hot lead with a motivated prospect that wants to sell their house for pennies on the dollar. So, I mean, those people, unfortunately, probably won't have success at this because they don't have the consistency and don't have the follow-up. You got to be committed. I mean, I just think it's my commitment level that one way or another, like I knew I was going to figure this out and consistency with the marketing just week after we money until leads come in, hot leads come in and we could get some deals out of it.
2: So to go off that question a little more, you know, there are millions of people in the United States who work corporate jobs. And, you know, what do you think it was about
0: you that? No, I was just talking about this with my wife. I think of drive and I think anyone can do it. Like what you guys are doing is hard, but like it's learnable, right? Wholesaling oh. is there's aspects of wholesaling that's easy, but there's aspects that's really, really hard. But it's like it's all learnable and anyone can learn it. What makes some people take the action and have that commitment level is like I guess people that do it that they have drive. But my, I mean, my catalyst was I, you know, I, I think I was earning like 80K a year living in SoCal, which is not a lot of money living Almost in SoCal. Poverty yeah, it actually literally it's <laughs> below the poverty line in Orange <laughs> County. <laughs> so I want to change, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to live the good life. I wanted to be able to donate big. I wanted to be able to on the drop of a hat go halibut fishing in Alaska and take three weeks off and go to South America and go travel and you know, just wanna you get one life and I wanted the funds and the means to, to live it well. So when I discovered wholesaling with you know what's possible with that. I decided to charge after it. You know like I said, it took me a year of we spent my wife was working, we spent her paycheck on direct mail for a full year without seeing any return, but I was committed and I was like if it takes moving to a different state, yeah, that's what we're going to do. So
2: Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's, that's how I was
0: able to work there. out is, is commitment level.
2: Yeah. So, do you think that your parents taught you any habits or traits or led by example in any way? For sure. To- and what do you think it is? Or what do you think those traits are that, that
0: they taught you? Great question. This is awesome. Awesome question. I'm loving this podcast. Um,
2: <laughs>
0: never we're heard just, this we're just putting you right on the spot. <laughs> it's funny. I was just having like the same conversation with my wife from earlier this week. We talked about that too. So my parents have always been super supportive. My dad was always super supportive. You know, he always thought extremely highly of me. And told me so. And so I guess you could say, had a very supportive father, which I know, unfortunately, a lot of people don't. I've been super privileged to have that. So he's just like, and he passed away in 2017, but he always, yeah, just told me how much he thought, how well he thought of me, and, you know, how he would say, like, how good at different things I am. And so I just, I guess, i have kind of carried that confidence with me throughout my life. So there's that, that I've always believed in myself. You that's, know, a, that, that's a that's great inspiration.
1: I, that's, that's, given you. That's, that's yeah.
0: Important. You know, so I've, I've always thought like, okay, I deserve a lot. Cause my dad's always told me like, Hey, you're, you know, you're worth more than that. And also my parents, they invested in real estate. So I saw them as my dad neared retirement. They started buying single family rentals actually in the Pacific Northwest when they were down in California. Cause up here things were still affordable and Worked out well for them. They were able to get some cash flowing rentals, which also appreciated a ton. They picked up a fourplex in Portland before they ever lived here. And so, you know, that showed me that obviously real estate investing, it's an option. It's a path. They weren't doing it for a living or anything, but they were investing some of the money they're making from their day jobs in real estate. And then my dad was always a solo business, well, not always, but part of his career, he was a solo business owner. He started businesses. He had a print shop, a document scanning and imaging company. So at the time, doing my own thing, it, I never connected the dots, but looking back, like my my path is in a large part, I think, been influenced by, by my parents by you know the confidence that they instilled in me, and also the types of things that they did in starting businesses.
2: Yeah. That's really awesome that they were so supportive. And I mean, it sounds like your dad just, and your parents just showed you the way. AJ and I were just uh, like lucky as well to have like, our dad has been a real estate investor his whole life. And you know, that's, I'm always like trying to, to see like what actually gets people into investing in it. Yeah. Really. I think it's a lot of what our parents have taught us and just like what they showed was normal. You know, right? our dad, you know, we lived very below our means and we, we would invest probably 50 or 60% of the income that he made into real estate. And, wow. you know, he, he came from essentially nothing. And, you know, now, now he's financially free and doesn't have to worry about retirement. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's a great inspiration for us. Well, let's, let's get back to
1: more, more about wholesaling. I I really want to talk about kind of you, you get someone, you know, you mentioned like you send out these 20 postcards that these people called and out of three, they call back and like, so you've got someone on the line and they're wanting to talk. Like, how do you get them to choose you instead of choosing one of those other three or the other 17 that,
0: you know, cards that they get? Yeah. There's a huge amount of stuff to talk about in that question. So, you know, first off, it's not sending 20 postcards and getting three calls. It's more like sending 2,000 postcards and getting three calls. Yeah. (laughs) Response rate is like 0.01%. But that's okay. You know, you just need to send enough direct mail. That's it. So, no, when we get a call with a lead, we always qualify with the four, I call them the four pillars of pre-qualification. So price, timeline, condition and motivation so you know they say bring 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 hello this is scott i got your postcard i have a property i'm selling this is the address oh okay great yeah tell me about it and as they're telling me about it, i'm pulling it up on zillow right oh it looks like it's a three bedroom two bathroom okay yeah no sounds hey sounds like a great property why are you interested in selling so you guys sound like tone of voice is everything right there so sounds yeah. super perplexed that question right there is going to get me motivation. So I'm going to hear, you know, possibly, well, we inherited the house, or our father just passed away, or we have tenants in there and they're not paying, or you know, could be a tire kicker. Well, we're not really interested in selling, but you know, you sent us a postcard, we were just curious. That's what the pre-qualification is: is we want to find out why they want to sell and is this a hot prospect or you know, good lead or not condition. So you know, tell tell me about the property and they People love talking about their house, right? So this is the easiest one. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Oh, have you done any major remodeling to the kitchens or bathrooms in the past five, 10 years? Okay, yeah, tell me tell me about, you know, how's the roof, how's the furnace? Hey, any deferred maintenance? The person's not talking a lot if they're just like, oh, it's pretty good, it's a good house. We've done a lot to it.
1: I I, I like, it It doesn't leak.
0: (laughs) Yeah, one question I like to ask is, let's say someone gave, let's say I gave you a $10,000 gift card to Home Depot, what would you do with it? <laughs> They'll come up with something. So I'm, I'm trying to get a picture of the condition. So timeline. So when are you looking to sell? Uh, anytime. Okay. Well, typically we close properties in two to three weeks. Would that work for you? And so, you know, if they say yes, you know, you have someone that's like probably pretty motivated because who's going to sell their house in two or three weeks? Like <laughs> <not> <laughs> person, only a, a motivated seller. Or they'll say, no, no way, you know, it, it would need to be at least 30 to 60 days. Okay, 36 days is still pretty short, like this could be a good lead. Or they may say, hey, we're not thinking until next spring, right, or until next summer. So now this is like, this lead's automatically not as hot. And then, so price, price would be the last one. So on that call, we're like, we'll say, so how much are you looking to get for it? And see if they'll give us any number. And we always try to ask, you know, a number of different ways. Just, you know, do you, they, you I keep I don't know. asking that kind of
1: like question until they yeah. give you a number or like you want them to put it out
0: there, right? Yeah. We always want them to give the price first if possible. Yeah. We'll say, you know, how much are you looking to get for it? I don't know. I haven't really looked into it. Just a ballpark. Just a ballpark. I won't hold you to it. Just, you know, just a ballpark. And if they still don't give it, well, I mean, do you have any idea what it's worth? Do you have any idea what the neighbors have sold their house for? Yeah. Oh, one across, sold their house across the street for 350. Oh, okay, great, great. Yeah. You know, so is that what you're looking for? Or would you be looking for more? Or would you be looking for less? And then if, basically if they say more, then we know they're probably not our people. It's more of a retail. It needs to go to a realtor. But if they say less, then that's someone that you know, is devaluing their property. Someone that acknowledges that there is some sort of condition issue to it that it's not worth that.
1: Some sort of deficiency that they...
0: Yeah are keenly aware of exactly so that's what we try to get on that first phone call and then if they hit in like two out of the four pillars then we'll we'll go on the appointment if there is a lot of motivation even if it's a great house we'll go on the appointment if the house is really crappy and they want to sell in 3 6 months we'll go we'll go on the appointment if it's total tire kicker is a great house they want you know more than top dollar no motivation or low motivation, and we probably won't. And uh, we'll encourage those people to talk to a realtor, or we'll put them in contact with the realtor.
2: So that that's, okay. that's really
0: our process when we get incoming leads. And it's okay. the same thing if we, if we cold call someone, we're having those same conversations, or if we send a text message, we're having the same conversations.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a great process. It's defined. And so if I heard you right before we were talking, you, have you hired someone to help you do this process now? Have you gotten to that point, or are you still? doing this yourself?
0: Yeah, so I have cold callers. I have a gal in Costa Rica that calls for me and she's great. Also, I have a guy up here that cold calls for me. I just promoted him to acquisitions and so we hired someone that's replaced him and he's cold calling also. And I'm a big believer, I've learned in having an in-person cold caller. So if you can get someone that's in your market, that could come to your house or come to your office and cold call right beside you, like just the results have been like 10 times better almost than having like a foreigner. So, you know, people be like, yeah, I could get a Filipino for four or $5 an hour, but you're not saving any money because you're spending money on skip tracing. And you've thrown those leads away. If you could get an American that you pay 15 or 20, but they're 10 times more effective. And it literally is 10 times more effective than having a foreigner. Is that like the, uh, is that like the concept of
1: like a boiler room? Where you know they're right there, <laughs> next. you can you can really like modify maybe some of their inflections or some of the words that they use. The and yeah. like if you've got someone that's way way away, you're looking at calls that have been maybe done previously, and it's a, just so it takes a little bit more iteration to review. Is that why, or is it really like just because they're Americans or? They so they I've heard it said
0: if you have a, a if you have a foreign caller and calling from a foreign country, they're like percent as effective as you. If you have an American in a foreign country, they're 10 percent as effective as you. If you have an American in America, but calling remotely from their house or from a different state, they're 25 percent as effective. If you have an American right next to you in the same office, they're 50 percent as effective as you. And then then you have yourself and no one's ever probably going to be as good as you are because you're the most emotionally invested and you're not afraid to ask the tough questions and you stand the game the most. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's exactly because of that, you know, right here, I have my caller who we're training like right now and he comes and he calls and I'll, I'll tell him, hey, why are you screaming at him? Lower your tone of voice. <laughs> and I want you to start smiling because people can hear the smile through the phone. And yeah. I'll tell him, you know, we say, we'll say, hey, is this John? Hey, hey, John. Yeah, just calling about a property I believe you own at 123 Main Street. And there's a hesitation right there. Yeah, just wanted to see if you consider an offer on your property there. And so you have to time that hesitation just right. If you wait too long, they could hang up or they think that you're a robocaller, but you want to hesitate just long enough so you give them a chance to answer. Otherwise, you just charge through. It's like just little super nuanced things like that, but compounded. Is just great having a person by your side to tell them all those things. And so when they get a a motivated lead, I'll point to the script that we have or I'll handwrite on a pad, ask them this question. And so then they could basically learn to think like me and then you start to replicate yourself. It's awesome.
1: So I I got a quick question for you. You've made a ton of calls and you've kind of come up with these, you know, like you talk about that little pause or that sort of stuff. Like how many calls are we talking about? How many have you made and how many like kind of iterations that, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of iterations you've gone through, but like just give me give me an estimate. How many calls have you have you made? Probably tens of thousands.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you know, the script is not rocket science. Anyone can anyone that wants my script can email me, Scott at Coast to Coast So it's Scott at Coast, the number two, Coast House Buyers.com. This is the TTP script from Brent Daniels. Everyone uses the same script or some version of it. Yeah. And, you know, there's probably 20 people in our market. We're all using the same script, but like it works. So we all just keep using it.
1: <laughs> and it just takes a bunch of practice and over and over again to get those little intricacies, the little details really make a big difference
0: in the end, don't they? Yeah. And on the phone, it's active listening is everything. It's It's doing that Uh uh-huh uh-huh oh okay oh a three bedroom oh oh a peach tree in the backyard wow that must be really nice given that (laughs) given that audible feedback that lets them know that you're there and you're listening and Mm -hmm. with the friendly tone of voice you asked me earlier like why do they trust me or why do they trust us is you know in, in every point of contact we're like we're really trying to help the seller we're trying to make money but we're trying to help the seller we can't if we can't help the seller, or if we put them in a worse-off situation, we don't do the deal. And so we kind of permeate that in in every aspect of our organization. So down to our tone of voice when we're talking with somebody, we make sure that we have the tone of voice that confirms and approves, and we let them know that we're there listening. That's great. That is that and is love- great advice for anyone that's looking to get
1: into wholesaling too. Like it's making the other person feel like you're there and you want to help them out. Like in in all actuality, that's, that's really what you're doing is you're putting two parties together that need or want something. And both is kind of like a win-win situation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a fantastic way to approach just a difficult situation. And so trying to help the seller get into a better off situation is, you know, it is a great way to look at it. And that, I actually think that that might come from your dad
0: and just
2: how trying to make a situation that might be difficult, positive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what's cool is we put that into one of our values is is to serve. So like my company has core values. One of those is to serve. So my acquisition manager now, he put a property, his first property under contract, and it has an extremely disgruntled tenant in there who's not paying rent that, you know, hates the owner of the house and didn't want to deal with us at all. We went down there and, you know, he got, he got her to warm up to us just by being like, Hey, we want to help you. Like we care and tell us about your situation. Like how did you end up here and just listening to her. And this is so amazing. So what Dylan did, he found out that she's living in a trailer in this backyard underneath a tarp, like the trailers underneath the tarp. She's got three kids there. And like, it's a burned out house that, that they're in the backyard of. So super sketchy situation, especially to have three kids. Dylan found her basically like low income housing, but super, like a super nice three bedroom apartment that she would under normal circumstances have no way to afford. And he got her put at the top of the list just by like making a few phone calls, spending a couple hours, making a few phone calls. And he called her with this news like, hey, we might not, you know, because this is a, it's a very complicated deal. We might not be able to buy this house, but even if we're not, like, we still want to help you. And so, this is what we found for you guys. We already talked with them. They're waiting your call. They're going to be able to quite probably put you at the top of the list for an extremely low price three-bedroom apartment, which is new. And she's just, like, in tears. Wow. And she called him the other day, or actually today, like, thanking him because they did put her to the top of the list
2: that's amazing and
0: actually in, in that it just so turns out that that goodwill that we created with her is coming very handy in this deal
2: <laughs> that is that is really cool so yeah so we've kind of talked about some of the key things that you're trying to make happen when you're putting a deal together but like for somebody who's starting out new what are like the basic foundational strategies that they need to stick to when they're getting started?
0: You need to, you either have to have time or money or some combination of both to do this. So if you don't have any money, you need to hustle and spend time. If you have money and you're working at a job and can afford it, send direct mail because it's the least amount of hustle involved and you just get phone calls. And some of those can be extremely hot. If you don't, if you have some money, but not a ton, cold calling is great or getting a text messaging service and sending on mass text messages to to your list, but you need money to skip trace these lists, but skip tracing is like 15 cents a lead. So, you know, if you have a list of a thousand addresses, that's $150 is what it'll cost you to skip trace it. And then you could just hand dial those on your cell phone. So you need to have some money, but you don't need a ton, but you got to do the work, right? So send those postcards or... You know, make the phone call, send the text messages, and then keep doing it until you get leads and motivated leads. What you're looking for if you're like brand new starting out is you're looking for someone that has a high level of motivation or that's like motivated and they want to sell. So they want to sell their house and you know they have they have some sort of problem. Could be a probate situation, could be a tenant situation, maybe they inherited this house. Maybe they just like we're talking with a lot of people now that just want to move out of state, they want to leave Portland for all these things that have been going on and you know, their house might be really old and trash, And, but we're looking, you want to look for someone that like wants to sell and they have motivation and you'll know it when you hear it. There could be a bunch of different situations, but you'll, you'll feel it in the voice of the seller. One of someone that's really motivated. And then you want to go down, don't overcomplicate things. Just look at what Zillow says and you know, take 60%. So if like in Portland, let's say houses cost $325,000 fixed up, let's say $350,000 fixed up, multiply that by 60%. That's $210,000. There is your offer and add, you know, 15K on either side of that. So, you know, Mr. Seller, you know, I'd love to make a deal with you. And, you know, have you thought about listing with a realtor? So walk them through their options when you're on that, on that first appointment. And don't be afraid of losing the deal because they've obviously thought about listing with a realtor. You just want to hear them say whether that's actually an option or not. Walk them through their options. They may say, yes, we've thought about it or we're going to, or no, I don't like realtors or, you know, no, I just don't want to have a bunch of people through my house or no, I want to sell quickly. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people don't sell with realtors, but you want to, you want to find out, try to get the price out of them first. But when you, when you're in there, they want to sell. If you have to make the offer, you could use that 60% number and then just go like, give them a range. So I said 210 is 60%. Maybe offer them a range of like, what if I could do somewhere between 190 and 230,000? You know, it, it just depends until I know a little bit more, until I see the property or until we get a quote on this thing. But like, that's, that's kind of where I'd be at. You know, can, can you work with that? And then, and then gauge them, but you want to drop a pretty low anchor. Cause that gives you, that gives you room to come up. So with what we did there, like at 190, that's a pretty nice wholesale deal. If you can get them to agree to that, even on the top end at 230, you're probably going to make some money if, if, if you work your, your way up to the top end and then anywhere in between there, you're still making money. So yeah. you want to anchor low and then come up in small increments, but you want to also find out what, what else is holding them back besides money. So if you can't get the, the deal signed, just find out, you know, what else is there? Like, you know, let's say if money was not an option, let's say hypothetically, hypothetically, if I, if I could pay you what you wanted, like, would you sign right now? I can't. But if I could, would you sign right now? Or what else would need to happen? So you're trying to find out, like, what are the logistical issues? Because those are other bargaining levers that you can use to get yourself a deal. Like, okay, so you want 250 I w- I really wish I could pay you the 250. Unfortunately, like do the condition, your house and just with the market, you know, it's nothing personal. It's just what the market says. I I can't pay you the 250, but what if we could pay you 205 and let you stay in the house for two weeks after we closed? Or what if we brought a storage pod and we put that out front and you could put all your stuff in it and then we could have that transported to the house that you're moving to? Or what if we paid for a storage unit for you? What if we brought movers? So like whatever, you want to ask intelligent questions to find out what are all the little pain points in their lives, which could be very different things. Like they could be things that seem totally easy, like not issues to us, but to people in distressed situations, these could be big deals. And then once you find out what those things are, that's what you got to solve. And, and those are all your bargaining levers besides price. That's how you keep a low price and still get deals done. Like we, we do this all the time, we'll, Rent a moving truck or we'll bring movers or we'll let people stay in the property after closing. And then you know there's ways to protect against that too. You put you put like a big fat hold back, like you hold back ten or fifteen thousand dollars that they get once they move out. And that if they don't move out, you keep, and then someone could theoretically use for an eviction if they wanted to. But yeah, that sort of answer your question. It's a super deep topic on, yeah. on negotiations, but and on getting a deal. But if you're new, market. When you find a motivated seller, jump on them like a bulldog and don't leave their house without getting the contract. <laughs> My first, she was motivated. She ghosted me. She kept ghosting me. I literally door knocked her. She let me in. I sat in her living room. You know, I threw out a really low number of like 160 and this house is worth probably 325 And she's like, actually considered it. But she's like, she wanted to sign, but she didn't. I just kept asking so many questions, dozens of questions to find out what was holding her back. And then I, and I did, you know, what I like to do is what if, well, what if I can't, I can't come up much on price, maybe up to 165, but what if I could do 165 and we let you stay in the property for two weeks and we hooked you up with a realtor and found you your next house. And like, I just came up with so many different options for her, like what if options until I found out like what the real issue was and and then I solved it. Yeah. And the real her in that situation ended up being that she has a friend that is an investor and he said that he wanted to buy it. So then I said, Well, what if you and I go under contract? You know, we just take care of the paperwork right now, and then talk to him on Saturday. And if he doesn't want to buy it, then or if he does want to buy it, you call me and I'll tear up the contract. And she said, Okay, yeah, that'll work. So, you know, we wrote up the deal and she talked to him and he wasn't ready to move on it. So she called me and said, yeah he doesn't want it we got a deal I heard what, you know. I mean, we gotta, what that pain point is or what that obstacle or what's the thing that's holding them back but when you're with a motivated seller like don't let go don't let go even right before this call like i was i was negotiating like kind of doing a, a joint deal with another wholesaler where this person's like selling like today like right now but there's another investor that's also trying to go for the same deal and and we needed to think about the price so we're like we got we're like can we think about it and we got off the phone I'm like this other person's probably calling them right now, so I was like, Don't think about it, just do it. So we called them back, we're like, We'll do it. But that that's the mentality you gotta have. You gotta feel like if you don't put something under contract that you're gonna lose it. Because yeah. you probably will if it's hot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean if they're they're ready to move, they're gonna move in some direction and you would just want that direction to be with you. Right. With those pain points, some sales techniques like you you try to identify those pain points and do you ever kind of play on those a little bit more as to like just kind of reiterating how bad that they could be or how bad it could be and when you're doing those kind of like what ifs
0: yeah so you know you want to find out like what what's the pain point in their situation that's motivating them to want to sell so if it's like if it's like a tenant situation and they're not coming to your price, you might say, Okay, yeah, no problem. You know, I'm I'm sure you're totally fine to just ride it out another six to eight months and you know, they'll probably eventually start paying. So that's kinda like digging in that pain point a little bit. Yeah. So we'll do things like that just to or if we know that they don't like listing with realtors, we might continuously over and over like suggest that they should do that because yeah. then they will be like well no no because of this and then when they do that they kind of come back to us So yeah we definitely we like to know what those are in case we need to use them
2: nice this has been a lot of really good stuff really good stuff getting to be
0: about that time where we. Uh, i would like to suggest for for pain points and questions it's by uh, i think david sandler and it's called you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar you can't teach just, a
1: kid to ride a bike at a
0: seminar you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar so is that
1: a? is that that's a book
0: that's a book yeah really i gotta put <laughs> yeah, that great, one on my list i have not great, read that small, one like sales dude from the 80s and 90s i've taken a lot of wholesaling like training programs and coaching programs and pretty much everybody pulls their material from from this guy which
2: yeah i've heard cool. his name
0: yeah he's just so good that's great it, it, it's, method where you can just ask the questions that you want to ask and you know you can walk away and you can respect yourself and it's a much more fun way of doing sales than a lot of other methods I definitely
1: heard you say some stuff from how to win friends and influence people
0: just like the about
1: smiling on the phone like that really does like a big difference and just to keep smiling and that's always kind of fun hearing those those concepts applied in different ways so well cool well we've got our, our four last questions here We're excited to to get to. So, the first one is: What's one piece of advice
0: you would give to your 25 year old self? I would say I had a more poverty mindset back when I was 25, and and what I mean by that, instead of an abundance mindset, what I mean by that is I had a bunch of student loans, so college debt like 60k worth, and for most of my 20s, I didn't earn a bunch of money, but like the the debt really weighed on me. I hate debt even to this day. And so I would try to pay that off basically through saving. It's like, all right, how much can I, money can I save this paycheck period in order to use that money towards debt? You know, so can I withgo having a beer at a restaurant when I really want to have a beer? Can I save that $7 and put that towards debt? Or, you know, can I drive an older vehicle and then save that money towards debt and basically just live like really, really frugally always make my own lunches. So I lived really, really frugally throughout my twenties and I paid off the debt actually before wholesaling, but right before I started wholesaling, I I paid it off. It took me 10 years, pay off 60K. Had I just focused more on how could I increase my income and stop thinking about how could I save more money or live more frugally, but how can I make more money? You know, Can I start garage selling and, and buy some stuff and start flipping it for money? You know, could I buy old cars and flip it and make a thousand, two thousand $2,000, you know, could I flip a house? So it's like, and that's certainly something I could have done in my twenties, you know, and it's like limiting beliefs. I didn't think that I had the money or I thought that you need to have money in order to do that, or that you need to like spend a ton of time educating yourself on, on how to do that. So that's the big thing. I'd be like, I should have definitely learned how to make money. And I think like, if anyone just feels like they need to make more money, just go, just go garage sailing with twenty dollars in your pocket and buy a bunch of stuff really, really cheap and then put it on an offer up or put it on Craigslist, put it on Facebook Marketplace and sell those things for a profit. Like you could turn you could turn a hundred dollars into five or six hundred dollars in a couple of days just by doing that. Like I know because I've done it. Even yeah. even in this day, like if I drive by garage sale, I can't resist <laughs> just like I picked up a lamp for ten dollars and flipped it for seventy a few weeks ago just because I could. It's like So I'd say that'd be my advice to myself is like, stop thinking about how you can save money, start thinking about how you can increase your income.
1: That's a great hobby too. I mean, even if you're, it's fun kind of going to garage sales, looking around, seeing what's out there and then you trying to make money on top of it. I mean, surely they're not like everything you buy, you're going to make money off of though, right? You buy a loan if you will. That's, that's one of the things with real estate too, is like you, we, we have always said like you always make your money on the buy
2: side. Yeah. Like if you buy, right? Like you will always make money. There's no doubt about that.
0: Exactly. So what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? I remember when I was like really small, like probably like four or five years old, I would make these pencil drawings and go sell them to my neighbors for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> my parents like found out what i was doing and told me to stop no. <laughs> <laughs> i remember selling i was in indian guides and we had to sell gift wrap door-to-door and like we had these catalogs like popcorn and holiday cookies and stuff so i'd go door-to-door and sell that stuff because i was supposed to and i killed it i didn't know that everyone wasn't killing it like most people just wouldn't sell anything or they would give it to their parents they'd take it to work but i enjoyed going door-to-door and like doing these sales and like you know, making a lot of money, I guess, for, for the school. I just liked, you know, selling gift wrap or whatever door-to-door. And then when I was probably 13 years old, I wanted season tickets to the Angels. And I think that was five or $600. So I started a car washing business just with my buddy. And, nice. you know, we washed a ton of cars that summer. And I think when I was in my early 20s, I started a Christmas tree business where I imported... Oregon Christmas trees down to California and like created like a fundraising program for schools and churches and sports teams where they can like pre sell Christmas trees and then I would fulfill those orders for them.
1: Oh, that's and great.
0: About- wow. Yeah. So, I've that's- always done something.
2: Yeah, uh, you're. Sounds like you've always got something going on
1: the side. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to see what you're going to come up with next.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking the other day, what's bigger than houses? Is there, any, is there anything more expensive than houses that I can wholesale? And that's, I guess, what you guys are doing, multifamilies. Yeah, yeah multifamily
2: and, you know, I mean, commercial buildings. Yeah. yeah. There's probably going to be a handful of commercial buildings that are going to get traded here in the near future as kind of bank forbearance dries up and you know, there's just going to be some landlords that are in tough
0: times. If you guys put together a training or coaching program on that, let me know and I'll be a buyer. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it.
1: The next question we have is how has your formal and informal training
0: shaped your journey? Great question. Related to real estate. Yeah. So formal training has been huge, absolutely huge. I added up right before this call, I've probably spent or I've definitely spent north of forty thousand dollars on my personal training re- directly related to wholesaling, and it's been worth every penny. So my first course was wholesaling Inc, and I was like five or six k. Amazing course to learn to learn how to wholesale, to learn how to set up your systems and talk to sellers, build a cash buyers list. you know it's all about taking action. Then I bought a course on driving for dollars when I wanted to implement that in my business. You know, I, I like to I just like to think if I want to do something and there's someone that knows how to do it and is teaching it, I'll just pay for that knowledge so I could learn it faster and better than I ever would on my own. Yeah. I did that with driving for dollars and you know, spent money on that and now I have that as a part of my business. We wanted to introduce cold calling. So I bought a course on that. So like the script and some of the verbiage you heard me using is from that course. And then I have a one-on-one coach which is a significant investment. And, you know, since that, my business has exploded. I'm a huge believer in paying for formal education. You just get to where you want to go much, much faster. That's great. And informal, I guess it's just being in the trenches day in and day out, <laughs> making mistakes. That's, I would get, you know, tell anyone, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to cancel a deal every once in a while. Cause you couldn't move it. If you're not canceling deals, you know, you're not, you're not trying hard enough. Like, I don't know that doesn't get talked about a lot, canceling deals. It's never fun to do it. You always want to make sure that you're not screwing over a seller. So if you ever think that you're not sure if you can make money at a certain price, you know, talk to them, Hey, what, you know, what are you going to do if I, if it turns out that I can't buy this at this price, you know, we have our inspection period, I can cancel, you know, what kind of situation would that put you in? And if they seem okay, like, you know, we'd probably just list it then you know, it's a risk I personally would be comfortable in taking and, and do take. But by, can't, by putting stuff under contract, canceling the occasional deal, like you learn. You learn a ton. You learn a ton. You learn about your market. You learn about the micro markets. And you learn about, you know, if you're a wholesaler, what your buyers are looking for and what they're not looking for. The only way to learn is by making mistakes or paying for coaching. <laughs> All right. And our final question, what is the deal that got away your moby dick oh man luckily i haven't had too many of them but there is one that her name was fung lee this korean lady and she had this horrible house with a hole in it and it was in hole in the floor uh, <laughs> in montophila and you know i walked it we agreed on a price of 200k and arv was in the upper mid threes, and i think it was 350 she wanted to sign at, at her real estate office and her, her agent, her broker was there. So he wanted to sit <laughs> in on that meeting. And then he's like, oh, you know, are you sure you really want to do this? And, you know, we could list it, probably get you more. And she's like, well, you know, at, at 210, maybe if you did 210, he's like, well, you know, if, if, she, if you could do 210 for her, I guess we'd think about it. So I didn't commit to that. I, I tried to play a little bit of hardball there. I was, you know, well, you know, I'm certain I could do 200, 210, I'm not so sure. And they're like, all right, well, we might be in at 200. Let us get back to you later today. So, you know, I left that meeting without the contract. And of course, they, they yeah. sold it to somebody else. You know, even if I had gotten it at 210, that would have been like a pretty nice wholesale deal, probably like a thirty dollars or $40,000 deal. And... <laughs> Maybe, maybe more. So, uh, so that one got away and it's like that one kills me, not because of the money, but just because I could have done better on it. You know, what I should have done is said to the realtor and to her. So, you know, always like many, many commitments. So are you, are you telling me, so you're telling me right now, if I, if I come up to 210, we would have a deal, I'm not saying I can, but if I could, we would sign paperwork right now. Like, Make it crystal clear so nowhere go room for them to you know back out of it, but that's that's the one that kills it. And I met the cash buyer that bought it, and then they did a beautiful job of the flip and you know sold it for a super high price. Uh, I was stoked for them, but it's like, man, I wanted that one. Did, did they get it for 210? They got it for 210.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well, you know, it's amazing how much you learn from you know, the, the ones that get away or, or the really difficult situations that you have to go through So, you know, it's just part of the informal training. (laughs) Exactly. Good stuff, guys. Scott,
1: really appreciate you coming on. I know you said your email address. Is there any other way that you want people to contact you if they're interested in maybe learning more or, you know, maybe
0: becoming a buyer on your wholesale list or. Yeah, I'll get my phone number. It's 503-891-0643. Sweet, there you go. Well, we, we really
1: appreciate having you on. Like, this is a ton of great content, and like, you really dove into your processes. Like, we just we can't thank you enough. We're looking forward to doing more deals with you in the future. And
0: hopefully- if anyone ever wants to just call me up and ask my opinion on something or ask for advice, I I'll always help people that call me. Awesome. That's that's great. That's awesome. I mean, that's
1: that's yeah. your core values to serve. Right? That's <laughs> an incredible core value to have. So.
2: And, and another 10,000 calls here next oh, yeah.
1: year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, great. Scott. Really appreciate it. And we look forward to talking
0: with you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth. Please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.